Amen. Thank you, worship team. Awesome. Just awesome. Just awesome. Thank you, guys. Uh, We are in week nine of a sermon series preaching through the book of Hebrews. The sermon series is titled, Look Up. It's meant to be a reminder that so often, in so many ways in our lives, our eyes can get stuck down on whatever details of life are in front of us. And we need to continually remind each other, encourage each other, exhort one another to look up. To remember that God is with us. Uh, To get kind of into today's passage, which we're going to read in just a second, I've I've got a brief question. By show of hands, who here has ever ridden a horse do we have anybody that's ridden horse? We have, wow, yeah. We got a lot of horse riding people. When my all church email went out and I mentioned horses, multiple people emailed me with all sorts of really excellent information and stories about horses, some of which might show up, maybe not, but we'll see. But it was, it's how you guys read the email. Oh, it's, it's nice. Thank you guys for reading the email. But we're going to read, uh, read Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25, and it's the last verse that we're really going to be diving into this morning. But I want to read the verses beforehand. Um, One, they're part of the passages that both Rebecca last week and Nikki two weeks ago, uh, that they both talked about. Um, And also, today's passage comes kind of as a crescendo to the whole line of thinking that this pastor who wrote this sermon and sent it as a letter to a group of Jewish Jesus followers in the late first century AD in the ancient empire of Rome. Um, Our passage today is sort of a crescendo of all those words that came before it. So if you want to turn your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 19. It reads, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the passage I want to focus on today, the the exhortation, the, the big idea is this, spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Spurs and horses. See, that's the 
That's the connection. See what I did there? Now, you know me, I'm a sucker for a good, clever two-word title to the sermon. So I would like to title today's sermon, Giddy Up! <laughs> Giddy Up. And here's the question I want us to spend some time thinking about. What does it mean? What, is it, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? What words can I speak? What actions can I do? What does it actually mean to spur one another on? And as a bit of a teaser, just to sort of pique your interest, and, and, and I'm going to answer this question at the end, so if you want to know the resolution to the tension, you've got to stay to the end. What does it mean to spur one another, put another on? And why do pastors like me sometimes get in the way of that? I can see you on the edge of your seats. What's he going to say? And here's how we're going to do this, uh, as we often do. Um, This phrase, to spur on, comes from the Greek word. The Greek word is paroxysmon. And it's interesting because sometimes you look at the Greek word, right? You look at the Greek word, and, and you look at all the other places that ancient Greek authors use that Greek word, and you go, okay. They pretty much used it in kind of the same way in all the different places, and it sort of means what it means. That word, I think it means what you think it means. But other times, like with this word, you you read the word and you go, huh, when I look at how that word is used in other places, it seems to mean very different things, or at least have a very different feel to it when it gets used in different places. So as we're asking this question, what does it mean to spur one another on? How are we going to do that? I want to try to answer it by looking at three examples of the Greek word used throughout history. One example from an ancient Greek playwright, which I'm sure you guys are already on the edge of your seats. Two, an example um, used in the book of Acts, talking about the Apostle Paul. And three, an example from the book of Proverbs. Uh, We're going to look at three examples, and we're going to kind of build an answer to this question. What what does it actually mean to spur one another on? Uh, I feel like there's something else I was going to say here, but it's gone from my brain. So we're going to move on to whatever the next slide says. Um, So first, ancient Greek playwright, think think Lin-Manuel Miranda, except ancient Greek version, and you get this guy. Aristophanes. Oh, that's a selfie that he took at some point in his life. Aristophanes was quite irreverent and used pretty foul language in his plays, so not necessarily kid-friendly. When you're a classical Greek major in undergrad and you have to translate his work, you find yourself reading the dictionary going, I'm supposed to write that on my homework? All right, that's, I guess, what I'm going to do. And Aristophanes wrote a play called The Knights. And it's a political satire, and it's brilliant, and it's very interesting, but there's this one set of two scenes where, in the, where the, and the two scenes are contrasts with one another. In the first scene, it's a rather hilarious competition. And it's a competition between two people trying to compete in order to prove and answer the question, who is the best servant, which just feels like a strange 
thing to compete over. Like that, that feels like a bit of a, of a contrast here. No, I'm a better servant. No, I'm a better servant. I'll show you who's the better servant. Well, the one guy wins, and, and, and the playwright spends some time talking about just how great this guy is and why he's such a good servant and how he's such a, a noble character. So we get a picture of, the, of, of just a good man. And the very next scene introduces us, in contrast, to a rather evil and wicked man, a politician who is crooked and selfish and power-hungry. You know, fortunately, I think that was the last politician like that, right? It just ended way back in the day. And the playwright writes this long list of insults and saves what appears to be the worst insult for the end of the list, talking about this bad guy. And the last insult is, this man is a sharp-edged fellow. I try not to come up with lists of great insults. Like, that's not something I try to do. But if I were, I don't think I would put this on the list. Like, I just, I don't, I don't know why that was the great crescendo. But the interesting thing is this insult, a sharp-edged fellow, you know, it's got a feeling of like somebody who's, who's brash or, or hurtful or harmful with their words. If their words were like a sword and it cut, that's the insult they're giving to this fellow. And here's the interesting thing. Sharp-edged. The word Aristophanes used is the same word that the author of Hebrews used to say, spur one another on. Hmm. So this word, it can mean, it can be used to refer to things like a sharp sword or sour wine that kind of puckers your mouth if you drink it. Or somebody who is quick to learn, right? They're sharp in their mind. They're quick. They're fast. Or olives in a bitter brine. I got that one straight from the dictionary, and I just had to put it up there because I was like, yeah, olives in a bitter brine. But we, we get this sense of like, okay, um, what's this word mean? It, it, it means something that, that pokes or prods or pierces, something that hits us in a particular way. If we're trying to answer the question, what does it mean to spur one another on? My first answer is it has something to do with being sharp, being quick, speaking or acting in a way that leaves, it, it, it's kinda, ah, it kind of leaves a taste in your mouth. Has anybody ever spoken to you? Ever said words to you? Maybe they were really kind words. Maybe they were really loving words. Maybe they were kind of harsh, hard words. But after they spoke, you found yourself going, that stung a little bit. I felt those words when they were spoken. Spur one another on. Second image, the Apostle Paul. He is on uh, one of his missionary journeys. The Apostle Paul has been absolutely turned upside down in his life by the grace of God. He's experienced the love of Christ, and now he is passionate about sharing the good news of the love of God with all people from every nation and tongue. And so he's traveling around doing that. And he comes to the city of Athens. 
And when he gets to the city of Athens, he finds that the people of Athens are worshiping idols and following religions of all sorts of different gods. And Paul's not very happy about this. He's a man of great passion and commitment to his pursuit of the gospel. And so when he sees all these other idols, it's a problem for him. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, here's what we read. While Paul was waiting in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And you know what Greek word was translated into greatly distressed? You guessed it. The same one the author of Hebrews used. Paroxysmon. <clears throat> Pretty sure that's right. It can be translated as angry, irritated, or incensed. Whatever happened, in whatever way Paul was spurred by what he saw, it got under his skin. I like that word incensed, right? Picture you've got a little stick of incense and you light it on fire. And after you light the incense on fire, it smolders and it burns. When somebody has spurred you on, it's like a little fire has been lit inside of you. Made me remember when I was a high school student up in northern Minnesota, there wasn't a lot to do. So one of the things we did is we went camping because there was just big empty space everywhere. And when we went camping, one of the things we did was we built very large fires because it was northern Minnesota and it was wet and there was a lot of wood and there weren't fire dangers like there are in Colorado all the time. And when we would, and when we would go camping and we'd build a fire, we, we would often, now I'm, I'm reporting to you something I did. I'm not recommending, all right? If there's any high school students in the room, I'm not recommending, I'm just reporting, I'm not recommending. <clears throat> Disclaimer complete. We would build a really big fire, and then we would take a tire, and we would throw it on the fire. And the reason this was fun is because one of the main ingredients in tires is petroleum. And when you throw it on a really big fire, it just sits there for a minute, but after a little while, it will literally burst into flame. And man, that thing will burn hot and bright and for a long time. It also smells really, really, really bad. So it's actually, it's actually just not a great idea in any way. But it would burst into flame, right? It would just light up and keep smoldering. I was, I was thinking about that idea of bursting into flame, and I couldn't help but remember uh, Billy Crystal in the classic movie City Slickers, when he's about to help deliver a baby calf. And he says, there's going to be bursting? bringing it back around. As we're answering the question, what does it mean to spur one another on? It means something about being sharp or quick or a biting taste in the mouth. But it also has this image of like a fire that's burning. It, it lights a fire. It gets in under the skin. It keeps smoldering. It's un- ignorable. 
Let me ask you something. Have you ever had an experience where somebody, you know, maybe somebody close to you, right? Somebody that knows you, somebody that loves you, somebody that's walking close to you in life, and somebody close to you spoke some words to you, maybe words of challenge or correction, maybe words of encouragement or advice, and after they spoke them, they were such clear and good and right and true words. Maybe they, maybe they stung a little. And 24 hours later, or heck, maybe two months later, you were still thinking about the words that they spoke. Because even if they hurt a little, you found yourself going, ooh, I really need those words to smolder inside of me for a little while. Spur one another on. Third example comes from the book of Proverbs. The author of the book of Proverbs. Um, one of the things uh, he really, really didn't like was debt. And he shouted a lot about debt in the book of Proverbs. You can find one of these little rants in chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Here's what the author writes. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, not a stranger, people, come on. <clears throat> you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. So, do this, my son, to free yourselves, since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion, and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. And that phrase, give your neighbor no rest. When some ancient God-fearing Jews translated the Old Testament from its original language, Hebrew, into Greek. You know what word they used to translate that phrase? Give them no rest. You guessed it. Our word of the day translated as spur one another on. And it's interesting because the image of this proverb is actually both sides of the coin. Give them no rest, but you also should not rest. And in case you wanted a word picture, or actually if you wanted an image from there, um, he says, no rest like a gazelle trying to get away from the hand of the hunter. Now the hand of the hunter might refer to a human hunting a gazelle, but it's a much more vivid image if you um, refer to one of their natural predators. What does it look like to give no rest? Or maybe this one. <laughs> or, my favorite. Now, <clears throat> just to be clear, in this little illustration, uh, you're the gazelle. <laughs> so let me just ask you. If you're the gazelle, what are the chances that you go, oh, I'm tired of this running. I'm just going to lay down here. I'm just going to take a little nap, and we'll pick up the chase tomorrow. No! 
You don't stop running. You keep running. There's only one option if you are effectively spurring yourself on or spurring one another on. There's only one option. You keep running. So what does it mean to spur one another on towards love and good deeds? Has something to do with being sharp or quick or leaving a, a kind of a biting taste. It's like, it's like a smoldering flame that's got under our skin and we just can't stop ignoring it. And somehow, if we're going to faithfully spur one another on, it means we're persistent. We're relentless. We're, we're active. We, we run <laughs> like a gazelle. Now, here's the interesting thing. Um, you know, you think about all of, the, all of the New Testament letters, right? This was a letter that was written down by a pastor. It feels a lot like a sermon. So it was a sermon written down by a pastor, sent as a letter. And it goes to the first audience. And you know, anytime you read something, anytime you listen to something on the radio or watch something on TV, words hit us with a unique feeling or vibe or, 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 or meaning to them, right? Every time we hear the word, that informs the way we hear it next time. So the interesting thing is, I just showed you three examples of this word being used in other places in Scripture, being used in other ancient places. And what stood out to me is each of the examples were actually pretty negative examples, right? It, it's... It's an insult of somebody with bad character. They're, they're too sharp-edged. It's, it's an anger that Paul feels when he sees something distressing to him in the world around him. It's a, it's a pursuit of, of freedom from something bad. And so I think it's fair to say that when, when the first audience read this, that word might have really jumped out of the page at them as a word that's often used in pretty strong circumstances. It has a strong meaning to it. But the interesting thing is, while all those examples were negative, and actually most of the times that I could find this word used, it had kind of a negative circumstance to it. In Hebrews, the word is positive. It's connected with things like encouragement, which comes at the very end of that verse. It, it's connected with things like a celebration of the joy of the good news that Christ gave us life. It says we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And heck, Scripture is filled with examples of how we are to conduct ourselves with one another as people trying to follow Christ with our lives. Just a few examples of other exhortations were given throughout Scripture of how to be in relationship with one another. The Apostle Paul, his letter to the Colossians, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Jesus, the great summary of his command for life is, as I have loved you, you must love one another. What does that look like? It looks like he gave his life for us. Or again, the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Rome. He says, if it's at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Look up the Greek word for everyone. You know what it means? Everyone. That's what it means. 
And so this word, it, it's like, ooh, it's got sort of this harsh, this biting, this bitter, this bursting into flames, but also it's in the context of kindness and compassion and caring for one another. It's like the author of Hebrews is trying to say, okay, we must light a sharp, persistent fire under one another with kindness and compassion and gentleness and love. It makes me go like, how, how, do, you, how do you thread that needle? Like that feels like a narrow little gap to try to find. So let me try to answer it just by, by coming back around to the same question. Um, you know, I love, so we just, we just had a, a baby dedication. We said, we committed our lives to being a church that walks with this member of our community, little Graham and his parents. And, and we're going to try to do that in small ways and in large ways faithfully. Who are some people that have walked with you in your life? Who are some people whose words and deeds and presence and friendship have been a godly gift to you in your life. When you think about those people, when has someone done this? When has someone spoken words that maybe stung a little? After they were spoken, whoo, you just couldn't forget about it. Maybe they even came back to you again and again and again and said, I think you really need to hear this. I think you really need to hear this. They were persistent. When has somebody spurge you on in this way. And even if it stung a little, you found yourself going, oh, but that's so good. That's just what I needed. And if we can come up with just one example from our memory of what that's felt like when somebody spoke that blessing into our lives, and we're going to start finding this answer to the second question, which is, how can I do that for someone else? How can we do that for one another? How can we be the kind of people who, when we have the opportunity to speak into someone's life, the words that we speak are words that will spur them on towards love and good deeds? Now, what would be nice is if we could just say, yeah, I've thought about that, Carl, and I've got some nice answers in my brain to those questions. And now that I've got the answers in my brain, let's just stop there. <laughs> but instead, we're then going to say, what are we actually going to do about it? Here's the sort of bizarre word picture that came into my mind, right? <clears throat> um, when I think about life, and I think about all of the, uh, the hopes, the dreams, the passions, all of the things I'm pursuing, the, the ways I want to live, all of the struggles I face, the challenges I have, the weaknesses I experience, I find myself thinking it's, it's, it's almost like I have a big herd of horses inside me, and they're all trying to run. Now, here's the thing about horses. I don't, I don't know a ton about horses, but I've learned a little bit, right? Some horses will be very happy to just stand there and not go anywhere unless you really spur them on. Like, you gotta, you gotta kick hard to get them going. And as one email I received said, yes, the spurs are sharp, 
but they don't hurt the horses, but they definitely get the horses going. We're not hurting animals around here. But then there's other horses. Like the horse that I rode on my week-long horse packing trip as an eighth grade boy going to summer camp. Her name was Sparrow. I can still picture my horse Sparrow. And in the middle, let's say it was day two, in the middle of this horse trip through St. Croix National Forest in northern Minnesota, we had all stopped to get a drink of water. And Sparrow said to herself, I don't want to stop so that Carl can get a drink of water. I want to run. And Sparrow is a very fast runner. And she started to run. I didn't kick her. I didn't think about her going. I didn't say, Sparrow, start running. She just started to run. <sighs> and at that time, wearing helmets while riding horses wasn't so much of a thing. So I, I think back and I'm like, I could have died. That could have been it right there for little Carl Helvig. But I made it. I made it. Now, what would be nice is if this herd of horses inside of me, what would be really nice is if the horses that represent good things, compassion and kindness, generosity and selflessness, um, humility, uh, self-discipline, I would like it if those horses inside of me were like Sparrow. And they just like to run. And they just like to take me for a ride and bring me there. And you know what else I would like? I would like if the other horses inside of me, horses like greed or lust, like selfishness or anger, I would like it if those horses were happy to just stand still, never run anywhere. Heck, maybe they just put themselves out to pasture and they didn't run anywhere. That's what I would like. But you know what I found? The opposite seems to be true. The horses that I wish would stop, the desires that I have, that, that I wish I didn't even have, have to say I had them, I wish they would just stand still or go away. And I wished that all the good impulses would run. But here's what I know. If I want those good desires, if I want those good purposes, if I want those good intentions to, to get running full speed in my life, they need to be spurred into action. Throughout Christian history, we've called this the reality of sin, that we're broken people living in a broken world. So even though we want to do good, it seems like too often we don't do it. And so how do we do that? How do we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And we'll answer that straight from the words of the author of Hebrews. First, we can do that by considering daily, thinking about, remembering, speaking about, praying about, writing about, considering daily the gift of grace that God has given you. The entire chapter, actually in some ways like three chapters leading up to this verse, leading up to this word of spur one another on. It's just image after image after image of how amazing it is that Christ has come, died for you, rose again for you, given you life. Consider daily the truth of God's good news and that 
will well up in us the natural instinct to spur one another on. Stick together. Never go alone. He says, in, uh, uh, do not give up the habit of meeting with one another. It's a habit. It's a routine. It's a regular thing. We never, ever, ever go alone. If you want to spur one another on, there must be a one another. And here's the thing about spurs. This is really deep, insightful, right? Here's the thing about spurs. They really work best when you're sitting on the horse. If the horse is here and I'm over here, it doesn't work. You've got to be close to the horse if you're going to spur it on. Are you close enough to someone? Are there people in your life that you've let get close enough to you so that if with their good, God-fearing hearts, they try to spur you on, have you let yourself get close enough to anybody so that they could? If you're close enough to somebody that you could spur them on, are you willing to do it? And last but not least, we remember that we're spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. We spend ourselves in thinking and praying and, and surrounding ourselves with and, and working towards being people characterized by the love of God and the good deeds of love that God has shown for us to do. And that brings us back around to the final question of why is it that sometimes it, it can be hard to do that? Why is it that sometimes pastors like me might actually get in the way of it? Um, as a staff, we did a, uh, uh, we've done this a couple times. It was a while ago, but um, we spent some time learning about the Enneagram, one of these personality inventory. Anybody familiar with the Enneagram? Yeah, yeah. And the Enneagram, you know, whatever. It's one of the many personality type things, and, and it's got a lot of great aspects to it. But if you know the Enneagram, uh, it, it's got, everybody gets a number. And I am a seven on the Enneagram. And as a seven on the Enneagram, that means that what I really want most, I just want happiness. I want joy. I want good times. I want a bonfire in the woods in northern Minnesota with a tire, hanging out with my friends. I want to run on horses and laugh. Or to put it another way, I just, I just want to be nice to you, and I want you to be nice to me, and I want us to hang out and have a good time together. Which is why sometimes when I preach sermons like this, and I write these questions down, and I think to myself, I don't want to say that to people. It doesn't feel nice. But maybe you're not like me. Maybe, maybe what you want most is to just keep the peace. You just want everybody to get along. Maybe what you want most is to, I just want to serve and help. I just want to show up and do the good deeds and just kind of be out of the way. Not, I mean, like spurring. When you spur somebody, they become aware of you. I'd rather be backstage helping. Or maybe I just like, I just want to think about love and good deeds. I want to go into my office, close the door, and think like a wise old owl about how, and then once we've thought about it, we're good. 
Or maybe I just want to express. I just want to be creative and expressive. And I mean, it's, I don't want nothing sharp or, or, or stinging, just creativity and beauty. I don't know what it is for you, but here's what I do know. Far too often, while we're living, you know, the, the, my love for joy and, and, and humor and whatnot, that's a good gift of me, but far too often I let aspects of who I am excuse me from doing the sometimes challenging things. I, I let it excuse me from saying the sometimes sharp yet loving words that I know God is calling me to say. So here's the question, church. Can we be a community that both considers and also takes action on this charge to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, making it a habit to never go alone but stick together, encouraging one another daily. Can we? Anybody? I think we can. We're going to sing a song. It's a new song. You may or may not be familiar with it. The song's called Speak Life. It's a pretty fun song. It's a pretty uplifting song. So uh, I'm going to have you stand up in just a second, and I'm going to pray. But here's my encouragement. As we sing this song, as we, as we speak out loud, as you hear the worship team sing this song about speaking words of life, I would like to spur you a little bit to consider how might you use the words God has given you to spur others around you towards love and good deeds. Would you stand with me as I pray? God, as we've said, it's good to know we're your people gathered in your presence. This is your church. You're the one leading us. It's your life and your power that gives us strength and gives us hope. And even when we feel overwhelmed by how challenging life can be, we know that, God, you have overcome, you can overcome, and you will overcome. So let us not be idle with our lives, but let us choose daily to speak words of life. As we sing this song and clap and enjoy the beauty of music, may it resonate with us even into this week so that we would be people committed to your love, to your deeds for one another and together for the good of the world around us. And everybody said, amen.